Hello, friends, and welcome to the Diabetes Pro Tip Series from the Juice Box Podcast. These episodes have been remastered for better sound quality by Rob at Wrong Way Recording. When you need it done right, you choose Wrong Way. WrongWayRecording.com Initially imagined by me as a 10-part series, the Diabetes Pro Tip Series has grown to 26 episodes. These episodes now exist in your audio player between episode 1000 and episode 1025. They are also available online at DiabetesProTip.com and JuiceBoxPodcast.com. This series features myself and Jennifer Smith. Jenny is a CDE and a Type 1 for over 35 years. This series was my attempt to bring together the management ideas found within the podcast in a way that would make it digestible and revisitable. It has been so incredibly popular that these 26 episodes are responsible for well over a half of a million downloads within the Juicebox podcast. While you're listening, please remember that nothing you hear on the Juicebox podcast should be considered advice, medical or otherwise. Always consult a physician before making any changes to your healthcare plan or becoming bold with insulin. This episode of the Juice Box Podcast is sponsored by Ascensia Diabetes, makers of the Contour Next Gen Blood Glucose Meter. And they have an amazing offer for you. Right now, at my link only, contournext.com forward slash juice box free meter, you can get an absolutely free Contour Next Gen starter kit. That's contournext.com forward slash juice box free meter. While supplies last, U.S. residents only. The Remastered Diabetes Pro Tip Series from the Juice Box Podcast is sponsored by Touched by Type 1. See all of the good work they're doing for people living with type 1 diabetes at touchedbytype1.org and on their Instagram and Facebook pages. This show is sponsored today by the glucagon that my daughter carries, Gvoke Hypopen. Find out more at gvokeglucagon.com forward slash juicebox. Jenny, let's do uh, a big sick day episode. And yeah. so I'd like to try, if we can, to get through sort of a regular sick day, like, you know, a little beyond the sniffles, the, fl- okay. the flu, a stomach virus, an injury, like a broken bone or something I might have to take, uh, you know, a steroid for, and then an actual surgery. And have you, where do I want to start? You've had a surgery pretty recently, haven't you? I've had multiple surgeries. I've had awake surgeries. I've had, I've been out surgeries. I don't like surgeries, but I've had them. Yes. So let's start there. A, because you got good information about it. And B, because Arden is going to have a cyst removed in a couple of weeks. So I'd like to hear about this. Um, So let's start with something you were awake for. I guess also like dental procedures would probably fall in this category a little bit. Maybe, maybe not. They could, they would be a little bit different only because, um, like a dental surgery, if you're going to be awake for it, like just a tooth removal or something like that, um, usually the awake component to it means that you don't really have to go in fasting or without any food in your system, you know, those kinds of things. If it were going to be, I know now they usually try to take all the wisdom teeth at once if Mm -hmm. they're going to do that. And oftentimes now I've heard a lot more people being completely put under. My son was. For wisdom tooth, you know, extraction. I didn't. I, my dentist said, 
your mouth is not big enough. You need to have your teeth come out, but there's nothing wrong with them. As they come in, we're going to take them out. So as my teeth kind of came out, and honestly, my wisdom teeth didn't completely come through until I was well into my 20s. Mm-hmm. And so they just took them out in Isn't office. I'm going, to so. make, I'm going to make a note here to myself because it has nothing to do with this, but my wisdom teeth extraction story is absolutely Horrid. insane, and I will tell it at the end. So okay. <laughs> <laughs> I literally just made a note to myself. Um, so, okay, so if I'm just going to the dentist to have a, a cavity done or something like that, not a lot for me to do, probably handle things the way I normally do. Um, you know, I guess One you- big thing to make sure is, especially if you're new to having it done, is and you've never had any like pain medication, you know, you may experience a little bit of a higher blood sugar, potentially a stress component from having like the Novocaine. I mean, that needle is, it's scary. It's a scary looking needle that they're shoving in your mouth. Right. And it doesn't feel very nice either as they inject it Mm -hmm. several times. So for those of, you know, those people who've never had this done, I, it's not very fun. And if you ever do have to have it fun, done it it's not a fun thing but it could cause a rise in blood sugar because of a pain component because you're just in a setting that's completely not under your control mm-hmm. so but other than that yeah you shouldn't you shouldn't have to go there fasting or make any true adjustments to anything um you know in the future if you had a second surgery or a tooth extraction or tooth work and you knew what happened the first time you could potentially look back and maybe make adjustments like setting a temp basal increase or taking a small amount of bolus ahead of time to offset a rise if you don't want it, or just correct after if you're not quite sure what's going to happen. Yeah, especially I'm thinking if, you know, if you're trying to, I'm not usually up for like run high to avoid a low kind of situation, but if it's an hour, an hour and a half in the dentist office and it makes you comfortable you know, let your blood sugar be a little higher for that. And then, and then get at it. And because I guess too, if you're numb, taking in juice or gel or something that could end up, you don't want to be in that situation. Could be harder. Exactly. Yeah. So it's, I mean, in some things like that, it's sure it's a little bit safer to potentially be a little higher if it does end up rising. Mm -hmm. I mean, obviously don't go in at a blood sugar of 250 just because you're scared, (laughs) but if it rises up, you know, higher than you'd love it to be again, uh, an hour, hour and a half of being too high, you can correct it after without worrying that things are going to drop too much and you can't chew anything, then that's okay. So this is so funny. I'm going to ask you, when I say leave it a little higher, I have a number in my head. What's your number? I'd say a little higher would be like 180-ish. Oh, yeah. So I might be insane, actually. So <laughs> I, was like, I was like, it could comfortably be around 135-ish in there. <laughs> you don't want to get crazy. That thing starts drifting to 160. I got to fight with it then, you know. Yeah. But, but the point is, is wherever you feel like you can Correct. keep the control. Um, and, and if you're real stable, that could just mean like dialing your basal back a little bit to just let your blood sugar kind of come up a little bit. Correct. You might not have to eat something to make it happen. Okay. So that's simple. Now moving on to the, kind of the next step of it, wisdom teeth knocked out cold. Now I do know this from my son. If you get a good doctor, you're only under a very short time, but when you come back, you are not in any shape to make decisions drink, eat. My kid said some crazy stuff on the way home from that doctor. Um, and then even once his head cleared out, which I have to admit didn't take too long, 
he's bleeding his his yeah. his mouth is packed with gauze and everything so i guess we're in are we in that situation now we're better high than low it would be better than to be and again in that case you know if you went into that surgery to be put out and your blood sugar was nice and stable let's say 120 even mm-hmm. it should for the short amount of time of that type of a procedure it should remain stable or it might climb again from the stress on the body. In the aftermath of that though, again, it would definitely be better to be a little bit higher than you're typically running. And again, I'm not saying like 180, 200 high, Mm -hmm. obviously you could correct to bring that down safely. But if you're running like 140, leave it. That there is no detriment there whatsoever at 140, you know, as long until you can take something in or start to eat um, or, you know, whatever the dentist told you for when you could start to eat again. Um, I mean, even with my wisdom teeth being taken out one at a time, I think there was, I think I had two taken out the first time. It was a bottom and it was a top um, wisdom tooth. And I remember a couple of days of like just soft. It was, you know, where the chewing component just was not pleasant. So um, having a plan of action too, just like on any other sick day kind of thing, having some things ready to go, especially if you're an adult and you're taking care of yourself, um, you know, having some soup or some broth or some jello or yogurt or popsicles or even ice cream or whatever it is that you can tolerate soft enough, don't have to chew it that you can get something in. I think that, I think that my, um, as I'm thinking about this happening for Arden, next year, probably my plan would likely be higher, not so high that it could get away from you higher, but controllable. And then if it tries to move, just kind of keep tamping it back down a little bit, like so that you're in the power position, right? It's not out of control high so that you're, you're going, Oh geez, I have to use a lot of insulin here and it's not low. Just, you know what? It tries to come up, push it back down, like play, play that game for a little bit. So you've got the level you're looking for, but you're still reasonably in control of what's happening. I put yourself in a power position there. I think that's that's, how I'm going to handle it. That's correct. Considering the fact that as we've said before, the littler incremental adjustments sooner mean less insulin sitting there to potentially dump you down too low later. And then a setting where you can't actually take anything in, whether it's a mouth surgery or this might even move into kind of like stomach bugs or those kinds of things where Mm -hmm. you may not be able to take anything in or not quite sure when you can take anything in. It's, it's certainly better to nudge little by little rather than take this big walking adjustment and then you can't eat anything to offset it. Yeah. Yeah. I think bumping is the, and nudging is the way to go. Mm-hmm. On this. That's I, so as I'm considering it right now for the first time talking to you and when Arden's wisdom teeth come up, I think that's definitely what I'm going to do. I'm going to shoot yep. for 140 in that yep. range. Take your advice over my advice, maybe more like 140, 150 mm-hmm. and then just keep knocking it down. If it, if it tries to run away, basically. Um, just kind of keep tripping it as it, just, yeah. it tries to get up and run like, nope, nope. <laughs> and find out ahead of time what her favorite soft or cold things are so you can have them ready. Well, yeah, the pre, like you're going to have to prepare, right? Like you're going to have, right. this is not something you're going to want to think about after the surgery is over. You're going to want this stuff right. in Let the house. Let her sit in the like parking lot of the grocery store where <laughs> you run in and be like, what did you want to get in her mouth is full of gauze? And she's like, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Right? Oh, but, oh. I can't get her to pick food when she's not sick or injured. Like yeah. we were at the grocery store yesterday. I'm like, Go can you ahead. just grab a couple snacks for lunch, whatever you're looking for? I don't know. You decide. And I said, how about those? She goes, no, 
And I went, well, how, how are you going to tell me decide? And then I say something and you tell me, no, I, I was like, what if I grab something that she goes, if you show it to me, I'm going to say, no, if you bring it home, I'll eat it. And I went, oh, well, that's a reasonable understanding of your psyche. I was like, okay, great. So I did. Um, anesthesia <laughs> impact at all? So some people, um, myself being one of them, not only do I have experience with surgery, I have experience with anesthesia, not my body doesn't like it. So again, if you're going into something where you've never had any anesthesia whatsoever before, just be aware that it can cause some like post-operative nausea. Many people get a little bit like woozy headed. I myself just don't tolerate it all. I talk to the anesthesiologist ahead of time. I say, you need to load me up with whatever tools you have because I will probably throw up on the nurses when you get me awake. And there's only literally been one time that I had a, um, I had a hernia surgery, an umbilical hernia. And um, man, if I could carry that anesthesiologist around in my pocket, if I ever needed surgery again, and his little toolkit of medications he used post-surgery, I was golden. Right. I didn't feel horrible. I mean, you know, normal, but not like nauseous, whatever. So anesthesia can cause some nausea. So just be aware of that. Mm -hmm. um, if you know that's an issue, again, talk to the doctor about it ahead of time. There are many different kinds of medications they can use to stop that. Okay. Um, and it depends, you know, on post-surgery. Um, sometimes they'll try to get you to nibble or drink a little bit of something in the post-op when you're, you know, recovering, waking up. Um you can also be really, really woozy, like in and out of like waking up and then getting really drowsy again. And that it takes for everybody, it takes a little bit of time to wear off. Usually in a post-op setting, they'll probably have you in recovery for at least an hour. It could be longer than that, depending on how you seem to be doing. So it's, I've always brought somebody along who knows how to look at my pump how to potentially do a finger stick for me, even though the nurses there could definitely mm -hmm. do that for you. Um, so my mom has come to a couple of my surgeries. My husband was there obviously for both C-sections that I had. Um, so it's really, really, really advantageous if you've got a go-to person to be there after. It's so funny. I, I alluded to this while we were recording recently, but you were I have a question that's on the tip of my tongue. And if you would have paused, I would have asked what you said. I'm like, one of us doesn't need to be here. <laughs> yeah. I'm afraid it's me. <laughs> no. No, 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 no. Um, so I was going to say, did you wear your pump? And, yes. you know, how did you take control of it? What did you do? Um, so as and long as you were coherent, you were doing it. Correct. As long as I was coherent, I was doing it. It's also really an ahead of time for any type of surgery. I mean, again, like a a dental kind of thing, the dentist could probably really care less as mm -hmm. long as things are okay and controlled when you come in. Um, they may, if they know you have diabetes, they're definitely going to ask when you come in, are, are your sugars okay? Are they controlled? Are you feeling well? You know, whatever. They're not going to know anything about telling you to do or dial back or dial up or anything. No. That's a dentist. Uh, yeah, Typical I've... doctors though, will be more involved. Will be more involved. And they, um, it's really important thing to talk ahead of time. Right. Because they're as a default going to just err on the side of, I'd rather see your blood sugar be 300 for the next couple Correct. of hours. They're always going to feel that way. They don't really want to be managing your blood sugar. I've, they don't. 
Yeah. I've seen yeah. this now in um, multiple people in my life, type two, type one, you know, all the way down to my, my, my friend, Mike, who was in a, you know, in a coma at the end of his life and they, nobody would, nobody, gosh, I don't want to say they care. They didn't care, but it was a problem. They, they weren't prioritizing, I guess. Correct. You know, it and, was a secondary issue. Yeah. They, really. they, it's, they think of it yeah. that way. And yeah. And so, they're, they're concerned. I mean, from the medical standpoint, in fact, if you don't address the fact of staying on your pump and keeping your CGM on and whatnot, as long as you can keep them on, there are some medical procedures that include um, machines in the operating room that could potentially require you to be off of your products mm -hmm. just from a, a machine, I guess, interference standpoint. So there may definitely be some things. There may also be length time of a procedure or a surgical procedure that determines you need to be on an insulin drip versus being left on your pump. So, you know, those kinds of things, there is a definite difference. But for shorter lived surgeries, if you go in with your team and you talk to them and you say, hey, you know, you know that I'm on an insulin pump. Um, if you've got backing of your endo, you can have your endo write a letter of approval for you to remain on your pump and your continuous monitor through the surgical procedure. Um, your doctor may even include in it, um, you know, glucose levels. We've, we've discussed she or he will come in with a glucose level here to here. She or he will have a temporary basal adjustment set. Many doctors are a lot more conservative than you need to be for surgery. Um, many doctors will say dial the basal back by 50%. Just way too, yeah, that seems like a lot. <laughs> again, it, which is a lot. And mm -hmm. for most people, again, there are the rare people who have a drop in blood sugar from that stress impact and whatnot, but it, it it's not common. It's more common for stress to cause a rise in blood sugar. Okay. So, you know, dialing basal back kind of goes back to some of our other episodes about like testing things. If you're going into a <laughs> surgery... First thing, they will usually have somebody with diabetes on insulin have surgery first thing in the morning. They will not push it into the later afternoon or the evening, mainly because they'll want you to come in in a fasting state. Yeah. And it's easiest to get that in the morning for somebody with diabetes. Mm -hmm. um, therein lies, do you know that your basils are doing what they're supposed to do? Yeah. If yeah, you've got time, well, yeah. test them. Can you imagine, too, you, you're going to need to be fasting for a procedure at 8 a.m., and you wake up and your blood sugar is 45, what are you going to do? You, right. you, you know, you're going to have to do something. And now Correct. you're going to have to show up at the hospital and say, I drank juice this morning. And then they're going to boot you back out again. And it, you're going to have to reschedule. So, all right, that makes sense too. Yes. Um, so conversations ahead of time with doctors. I'd like to control my own insulin pump. I can do it when I'm, un, you know, when I'm not capable. I've got a person here to help me. Here's a letter from my endocrinologist outlining you know, some of my goals for my blood sugars that they'd like me to be able to stay on my devices. If I'm MDI, I don't want to be on a, you know, on an insulin drip. I want to, I want to inject my slow acting, you know, the way Correct. I always do. And probably having a little bit of, I don't know if charting's the word or records to be able to show the doctor, like, look, here's what I do. Normally, I, I feel confident I can come in and accomplish this. Correct. Yeah, it's probably Correct. important. Because it, it eases their ability to also chart and say, you know, this is the plan of action. This is where 
you know, this patient's glucose levels, they're controlled, the insulin doses are here, the glucose levels are usually here. Um, this is where they came in the morning of the surgery, even showing them, um, I mean, every surgery I've gone into, they've, all the nurses have been fascinated with the continuous monitor. They've yeah. been fascinated with it that happened to Arden when she went into the emergency room for that belly pain and you and I talked that day actually yeah um and the yeah, the nurse who was way in charge super confident and and competent and she when she saw that thing she's like this is amazing and and yeah. I was like yeah right and and she's like all right well you know what do you want to do and I was like I you know I it was that moment when I said listen I'm not trying to be like I'm not you know I'm not blowing a horn here or anything like that. I'm like, but my daughter's A1C is incredibly stable on the lower side, her blood sugars. And I showed her, I'm like, this is her blood sugar for the last 24 hours. I'm like, I'm completely confident that I can keep her blood sugar here. And if I can't, could we just do, like, she's got an IV in, right? You could hit yeah. her, you could hit her with, you know, with, yeah. with glucose that dextrose. way. Dextrose, <laughs> right. And mm -hmm. so that actually happened. We were there for so long that they did have to run dextrose. Um, mm -hmm. And it was really interesting to watch because it took forever to hit. And then it jacked her up. But if you gave her any insulin at all, it went right away in two seconds. It's very, very interesting to watch how it worked. Um, but when going into that scenario, right away, I mean, after we were settled, like I didn't run in the door yelling, she has type 1 diabetes and we're right. going to take care of it. Like, you know, after we were settled, you know, we were there for a little while. I'm like, hey, listen, here's the situation. We'd love to stay like this. And then to be honest, she seemed thrilled to let us do it. Mm -hmm. It almost felt like, well, then I won't have to do this. So perfect. It, right. You know, it was a little bit of that. And okay. That's actually, for the most part, what I've actually, what I've experienced. There's almost like you, you can't physically see it, but you can see it because with diabetes, we become very intuitive to other people's like what you can see them thinking. You yeah. can like hear their gears going, right? And every time I've come in for a surgery, I can almost like, see the nurse like go yeah, it's a like their shoulders like yeah. relieved they're like somebody has control of this and we don't have to worry about it. i mean they will they will ask where your glucose is mm -hmm. if you do a finger stick or look at your cgm report it to them make sure that they know and are aware of where things are going um if you did it all make an adjustment to your insulin doses or take anything make sure to note it to them so that they can chart it yeah. um, because it becomes part of the medical record then um but yeah i mean my the my first child when he was born um we knew it was going to be a c-section and so we we came in planned everything and the nurse anesthetist who was there during the C-section, she actually, at that point in time, I had the receiver yet for mm -hmm. my Dexcom, yeah, yeah. right? I was still using it. And um, I she was holding it because my husband was like, you know, with me, mm -hmm. obviously. And she was amazed by it. She kept like... She's like, it changed again. She's like, now it's 81. And I'm like, yeah, it'll give you a new number every five minutes, right? Yeah. But she was like, she was so just enjoying watching. She's like, this is a really steady line. And I was like, yeah, that's what happens when your insulin is dialed in the right way. So, You know, to your point, I'm recalling a conversation I had with a nurse in a, in a hospital setting. And we talked about this. And she told me that one of the things she dreads the most is running up on somebody who really, you know, doesn't have a firm idea of what they're doing. And she's like, but, they, but it's 
They feel like it's working for them. Yeah. And then you feel like you're in now the, the position of explaining to them like, oh, this isn't okay. This should be more like this or more like that. And she's like, and that's not my job. And, you know, and they don't take it well. And they're already under stress over a lot of other things. And right. now, and now you, here you are in the corner of the room going, oh, by the way, you don't do a very good job of taking care of your diabetes. Here's what you should be doing. She's like, it's not the right time. No, you it's know? not at all. In fact, I when we went in for my second son's birth, um, you know, management had already been established, endocrine and my MFM team had already written, Jenny will manage. If she's unable, her husband is here, he can help her manage, she will remain on her pump, et cetera, et cetera. And the nurses um, were really, really surprised by that because they had had a woman the week prior come in on a pump and they thought she knew just like, you know, yeah. everything I was saying. She they said thought she did she knew. probably, yeah. They said, okay, we need you to dial back, you know, your rates by this much, blah, 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 because she didn't come in with a plan of action herself. Mm -hmm. And this woman, unfortunately, literally didn't even know how to button push on her pump. Right. So I don't, I don't know the whole story other than the fact that the nurses and the doctors were like, well, we, you can't safely, we cannot allow you to stay on your pump. Yeah. And so she was so excited. She's like, I'm so glad you know what you're doing. <laughs> She's like, this well, was the scenario we had. <laughs> I hope hopefully that'll this will give the confidence to other people to make these kind of like pre-planning decisions too. Right. Um, okay, so let's you know, injury. And I only have one example, but Arden got hit really hard in the kneecap with a softball, batted softball once, and oh. her blood sugar began to rise almost immediately after the pain hit her and stayed up for the better part of 18 or 24 hours, she needed a lot more insulin. Now, I, you know, I don't think there's a lot to say to this other than there was an impact coming from her body that required more insulin. And I gave her more insulin. Mm -hmm. um, but that's, is that, is that a hard and fast rule that pain puts your blood sugar up and constant pain can hold it up? Or is it that's person to person I would imagine too. For the most part, yes. I mean, as a as kind of just a blanket statement, yeah. For the if you're in pain and it's considerable pain, blood sugars will be higher. Mm -hmm. um, if the pain ebbs and flows, you may find a little bit of a kind of a drop down as things feel much better. And if it starts up again, maybe between pain medication or whatnot, it may start to escalate again. So. So yes, pain, pain's a horrible thing, yeah. you know, um, well, and that's actually one of the things that I, um, in having had two births, um, the management of pain post delivery was most women's insulin needs fall dramatically after they deliver child and placenta and everything. And all those pregnancy hormones are gone. Right. But after a surgical delivery, like a C-section or a more traumatic delivery, potentially, you may actually see that the stress of that and the pain that you're in could leave those glucose levels higher, requiring more insulin, mm -hmm. despite the pregnancy hormones being yeah. gone. So that's kind of a similar example. You're swapping the hormones for the you're, pain, right? Right. And I did see with Arden's knee that when pain, and she was only taking Advil, but when it worked for her, she needed less insulin. And then at the end of that Advil, if I if I didn't overlap it correctly, then she'd start to go up again. Um, okay. Well, I just wanted to hit that. But now we're gonna yeah. we're gonna jump into the like the illnesses. You know. Yeah. One. Can I can I make nope. a comment on one thing? Of course. Prior to illnesses, since we've been talking about like 
planning for surgery and all of those kinds of things. If you do have a plan of action and you know you'll be going into the hospital, the other things to definitively know is your length of stay for that. Okay. Because you do have to plan ahead for how much may you need to bring along as far as supplies, Mm -hmm. right? Especially if you're on a pump, if you're on a CGM, you want to make sure that you have enough that you don't have to either send somebody home. The hospital will not have anything to help you out with your pump supplies. They're not going to offer you an Omnipod if you know <laughs> they're not going to they you know i mean certainly they've got gluco- glucometers in the hospital they've obviously got insulin if you're really stuck on your type of rapid acting insulin um for another example uh and you've got something planned coming up make sure to bring your insulin to the hospital with you you may have to give it to the nursing staff they may have to hold it in in the medical area with your name and label on it mm-hmm. um but otherwise you're kind of going to be at liberty of whatever's on form at the hospital and it could be the kind of rapid insulin either you've never used or maybe it just doesn't work as well for you. Do you so have, do you ever um have you ever had an experience yourself or spoken with somebody who's had the experience where they go into the hospital, the hospital wants to leave their blood sugar higher, the people say I don't want that but the hospital resists and then the person um sort of mission impossible style gets insulin to themselves because I've heard that from a lot of people. Like, you know, um, I had yes. to, I had to hide my pen from the nurse, like that kind of stuff. Um, Correct. Now that all uh, seems. In fact, I'm, I'm sure she wouldn't mind me answering it because uh, Ginger, who I wrote my book on type one with, yeah. you know, she is a, she is an MDI. She tapes multiple daily injections. She doesn't use an insulin pump. Mm-hmm. Um, and her first delivery, that's what she had to do because the nurses were like, we don't want you. I don't know. They told her to take her insulin dose down or up by so much that Ginger was like, that's going to kill me. She's like, you can't do that. And so, yeah, she had had her like insulin pens in her room with her. And when the nurses weren't in the room, she just dosed herself. Now, am I advocating for that as a healthcare professional? No, I'm advocating that you talk to somebody. But you know what? If in the, the case of the question that you ask, if they're just leaving it like, so much higher, detrimentally higher than would be healthy for healing. I would advocate for bringing in like a patient advocate, mm-hmm. asking the hospital to bring somebody into the room to talk with, because there has to be a, a safe workaround that you're being safe and the hospital staff knows what you're doing, but that you're doing what you know is better for you. You know how this always happens because it happens in so many different walks of life in and around diabetes and and separate of it too, especially at school, by the way, with like how people take care of their children at school. There's this idea institutionally, this is how we do it. And when you come in and say, hey, that's really cool. I'm glad that works for people. I would like to do it like this. I go, no, 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 this is how we do it. But no one remembers why this is how we do it, right? Like, and it, it really is it's the meatloaf story. You, you know, it's, it's, have I ever told you the meatloaf story? I've said it on the podcast. So. <laughs> it fits here. I'll, I'll, I'll do an abridged version of it. Um, mother and a young girl, it's a pot roast actually. Mother and a young girl are making a pot roast. Mother gets out the pan, cuts the ends off the pot roast, puts it in the pan, sticks it in the oven. The daughter says, why did you cut the ends off the pot roast? Mom thinks for a second and says, I'm not really sure. That's how my mom made pot roast. So they find the grandmother, ask her. Grandmother says, I don't know. You're going to have to, you know, next time you're at the old age home, find my mom and ask her why. 
So they visit the old Hage home. They find the mom. She's 100 years old, all curled up in a ball. Grandmom, do you remember why we cut the ends off the pot roasts, you know, when we make them? And the old lady thinks and thinks, and she goes, oh, yeah, I had a really short pan. Right. Yeah, it you know. Fit. That's but, what right. I was thinking. <laughs> exactly. So, so you don't know why the hospital's saying what they're saying. You don't know why the school's saying what they're saying. And sometimes you just have to be reasonable, like you said, and talk and say, I get this is what you normally do, but hey, this is what we do, and look how well it works. Couldn't right. we? Couldn't we find a middle ground here? Correct. It, the problem is sometimes that communication breaks down because of. Um, I mean, I know on my end when it would break down for me in the past, it's always emotion. Like you know, you're very emotional and you feel like, oh, you're gonna you're gonna ruin my kid's life or something like that, or you know, you're gonna hurt somebody, and you feel, and then you start wrong, and then before you know it, you're arguing, mm-hmm. and so you have to really. You got to come at it from a real calm place, but, but that's, yeah, I'm not advocating anybody doing that either. I'm just saying that the number of people I know who have done that is um, more than I can count on my fingers. Well, something that kind of goes along with that too, would be sort of an emergent type of um, setting where you come to the hospital unplanned, like an emergency room, right? A, a, A really important thing is that you if you can, if you're awake with it or somebody who's with you can advocate for you, it's not odd for them to want to disconnect a pump. Right. Do not let them disconnect your pump. <laughs> if I had to say that like more forcefully or whatnot, I mean, if you are with it enough, do not let them take your pump, right? Because it, they don't they don't know. I mean, emergency department personnel, they're, they're great clinicians, but they see a host of things, trauma, problems, issues, whatnot. They are not schooled in insulin pump management. They're not. So that's a really, really important one. Um, And these are emergencies that aren't the top end of the emergency. Like if you're really injured, you know what? These people are going to try to keep you alive. You stop thinking about your insulin pump now, but Right. Like that, that kind of stuff. Um, right. But yeah, in moments where you're cognizant, it's it's a weird thing. Like, why would you give over the control of your insulin pump to somebody just because you broke your toe when you're in the emergency room now? Correct. That doesn't make any exactly. sense. Exactly. Okay. That's also the benefit of having a a medical alert ID. bracelet. Oh, look at Jenny is wearing her bracelet. Don't you? Oh, all... it's always on. Mm-hmm. I think actually, I I glued it closed. Um, because I've lost it. It comes from American Medical ID, by the way. It's a, they do a great job. But my clasp had come like it unsnapped mm-hmm. twice already, and I've had to reorder the same bracelet. So now it's glued closed. Like they would literally have to cut it off of me to get it off. I was going to joke that Jenny is making side money uh, mentioning American no. Medical bracelets on the podcast, and then she said it broke twice, and I thought, well, that's probably not what they want people to hear. So. <laughs> And it was the class, and I'm quite sure that it was, you know, my fault of catching it, no, whatever. It's just but fun. um, yeah, it's uh, so actually, it's funny because when I ha- went into the hospital um, the last time for my kidney stone, mm-hmm. which was not fun. That <laughs> was a whole bunch of extra visits and whatnot after. But I told them I was like, you, you, they wanted like all jewelry and like everything removed, and I was like, well, you're gonna have to cut it off then because yeah. it's glued together. I've and the doctor was like, okay, well, we'll just put some whatever it's called, like Coban or Kban or whatever around right. it. And he's like, you're fine. It'll be fine. Oh, there you go. There's Jenny's had diabetes for over 30 years, and she's wearing her bracelet now. Don't you all feel bad for not wearing yours? <laughs> um, 
I, I don't even think Arden has one, so I'm feeling particularly bad in the moment. Uh, okay. <gasps> I'm, so, I'm so sorry. You know what? It's funny. It's when she gets older. Like, then I think of it. Like, right now, she's right. with somebody constantly who knows she has diabetes. It's, right. you know, but it's those other moments. I guess it's the ones you can't plan for, you know. I've got a lot of friends who've gotten tattoos, actually, um, you know, mm-hmm. type one wrist tattoos. I've actually got a good friend in um, Michigan who she even talked to some EMTs and she asked specifically about her design yeah. so that she could know from a medical perspective, would this be visible enough would this be recognized as a medical ID um, and whatnot? So uh, there are some beautiful designs that are out there. Um, I just have never one day gone that route. One day. I have a tattoo, but I just don't have a tattoo on my wrist. Are we sharing where your tattoo is or no? It's on my leg. Okay. Well, I have a couple of tattoos. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I have one at the, the top of the crack of my... No, I'm just kidding. It's on my shoulder <laughs> and my one on my shoulder and one on my leg. Cool. <laughs> um, mine aren't that cool though. Uh, maybe they are. I don't know. I've had them for so long that sometimes I look in the mirror and I see it and it startles me. The one on my shoulder happens sometimes. Sometimes like, what is on me? And then I realize that 25 years ago I got a tattoo and right. I don't, I don't see it because it's behind me. Uh, anyway. Okay. So, so let's start with the easiest version of a sick day, right? Like a cold, um, uh, you know, sniffles, a cough, like something that doesn't, you know, morph into something worse, just something right. that, that is you're under the weather. How does that, does that always present with your blood sugar the same way like for you personally? The remastered diabetes pro tip series is sponsored by Ascensia diabetes makers of the contour next gen blood glucose meter. And they have a unique offer just for listeners of the juice box podcast. If you're new to contour, you can get a free contour next gen starter kit by visiting this special link, contournext.com forward slash juice box free meter. When you use my link, you're going to get the same accurate meter that my daughter carries. Contournext.com forward slash juice box free meter. Head there right now and get yourself the starter kit. This free kit includes the Contour Next Gen meter, 10 test strips, 10 lancets, a lancing device, control solution, and a carry case. But most importantly, it includes an incredibly accurate and easy-to-use blood glucose meter. This contour meter has a bright light for nighttime viewing, an easy-to-read screen. It fits well in your hand and features second-chance sampling, which can help you to avoid wasting strips. Every one of you has a blood glucose meter. You deserve an accurate one. Contournext.com forward slash juice box free meter to get your absolutely free contour next gen starter kit sent right to your door. When it's time to get more strips, you can use my link and save time and money buying your contour next products from the convenience of your home. It's completely possible that you will pay less out of pocket in cash for your contour strips than you're paying now through your insurance. Contournext.com forward slash juice box free meter. Go get yourself a free starter kit. While supplies last, U.S. residents only. Touched by Type 1 has a wide array of resources and programs for people living with Type 1 diabetes. When you visit touchedbytype1.org, go up to the top of the page where it says Programs. There you're going to see all of the terrific things that Touched by Type 1 is doing. 
And I mean, it's a lot. Type 1 at school, the D-Box program, golfing for diabetes, dancing for diabetes, which is a terrific program. You Just click on that to check that out. Bowl for a Cause, their awareness campaigns, and the annual conference that I've spoken at a number of years in a row. It's just amazing, just like Touch by Type 1. Touched by Type1.org, or find them on Facebook and Instagram. Links in the show notes. Links at juiceboxpodcast.com to Touch by Type 1 and the other great sponsors that are supporting the remastering of the Diabetes Pro Tip Series. Touchedbytype1.org. When you have diabetes and use insulin, low blood sugar can happen when you don't expect it. Gvoke Hypopen is a ready-to-use glucagon option that can treat very low blood sugar in adults and kids with diabetes ages 2 and above. Find out more. Go to gvokeglucagon.com forward slash juicebox. Gvoke shouldn't be used in patients with pheochromocytoma or insulinoma. Visit gvokeglucagon.com slash risk. For me personally, it does. I've found that just the typical sniffles, I'm not really feeling bad. I'm Mm -hmm. just feeling kind of like stuffed up or something. Typically, I don't see any change in my blood sugars whatsoever. I don't see any change in my insulin needs whatsoever. Um, It's not really until I start feeling sick where Mm -hmm. I might feel a little more fatigued, tired, kind of run down, like I could go to bed like at 8 p.m. instead of 10.30, you know, kind of thing um, that I – like a good thing for me to know that I really don't feel good is that I just don't want to work out because I typically do something every single day for a workout. And if I really would rather like skip the gym, feel like that's I know that I'm really not feeling great. But blood sugar wise, I've already I already know that I'm not doing great because I'll see an incremental creep. <coughs> Excuse me. I usually need about 20, 25 percent more insulin mm-hmm. with something that's got me kind of just not feeling the best at all right so with arden when she has the regular just sick day sickness she needs her blood sugars are so easy to control those days i i don't like but and not not Mm. not like i'm coughing and my chest hurts or there's you know she's not flying out of my nose or something like that just when she's a little under the weather her blood sugar is easier now maybe if i really delve into that maybe she doesn't eat as much during those days like like there could be another reason that i'm wrong about um but I have heard people say, you know, both ways, like I need more, I need less. And so for this, right, hydration really is got to be step one in probably mm-hmm. all of these, right? You have to stay hydrated, um, keep food in you, you yep. know, as best you can. So you don't get into one of those deficits where you've got a bunch of insulin going and there's nothing inside of you and you, right. you drop quickly. It is kind of mo- morphing that from just a regular sick day to a slightly more sick day where you're under the weather, maybe have a bit of a fever. Is the biggest fear, what if I need to eat and I can't? Or what if I get sick to my stomach and my stomach empties? Like, what do you think of the biggest fear around being sick as being? I would say it's more the, it's not like the congestion, the nasal, the bronchitis, the ear infection. That's Mm -hmm. usually not. It's more the bugs that hit the digestive system that are the fear for most people. Um, High blood sugars, most people will realize 
that they need more insulin, whether they're just throwing insulin and correcting because they're staying high or they actually intuitively are like, huh, I need to bump my basal up. I'll use a temp basal here because I obviously I'm just running across the board high. That's not so much the worry. It's more the gosh, I really don't feel very good. Things could be coming out one or both ends Mm -hmm. and nothing really seems to be sitting well or you have consistent enough nausea that you can't really do more than a sip every hour. Those are more of the bugs that worry people. Mm -hmm. Um, So, I mean, there there are some kind of hard and fast rules. You know, if your blood sugar is on the lower end, declining or dropping, and you can catch it ahead of get being too low. Um, you can, if you're using an insulin pump, set a temp basal decrease about 80% for about two hours. Okay. So if you're really nauseous to the point that you can't take anything in to stop that drop off, you can decrease basal enough, again, before you actually are too low to stop the drop and sort of curve you off until you could get a little bit of something. Usually extreme nausea doesn't last like nine hours Mm -hmm. at a pop. It kind of ebbs and flows through a stomach bug. So, um, you know, at, at some point you could get in something, even in the case of honey, you can put, put honey in the gum and sort of just massage it in. You don't even have to swallow it, but some of it does start to get absorbed in, you know, through the mouth. Right. So, it's funny. So you just described exactly how I help Arden sleep in really long. Mm-hmm. So on a on a Saturday, if she you know if she goes to bed late and or she's been really exhausted all week or something like that, this this Saturday is going to be one of those. Like she's got a lot going on this week, and I know she's going to sleep in. There's a moment like in the in the beginning of the day, the six o'clock, seven, eight, nine o'clock hour. It's like a fifty percent decrease in her insulin, and ah. th- and that keeps her. 80, 90, right? Mm-hmm. But if she starts power sleeping into that 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock, 12 o'clock, I sometimes have to go down to like an 80% decrease just because everything in her body that could possibly keep her blood sugar up is gone now. It's just, it's really gone. She's been asleep for 12 hours, you know, 10 hours. Right. It's really gone. So I, I've learned that I can't take all the insulin away because if I do that, she's going to jump up or be really high two hours after she wakes up or something like that. So you have to leave some in, but almost not enough for it to impact the moment at all, just for it right. to kind of help overall. And right. and then from there, it's great. I mean, the idea of the honey in the cheek, something that doesn't make it to your stomach because the, you know, the lining of your mouth is really absorbent for things like it this. Is. So your cheeks under your tongue, right? Yep. Um, yep. That kind of stuff. So you can get sugar in there without actually swallowing. I'll tell you, I'll tell you too, in a panic situation, if you don't have anything, even table sugar, you you know, you can dissolve sort of in the saliva of your mouth and and leave it there. Yep. There's a a lot of ways, but you're going to have to get creative unless you're planned ahead. Right. And you have sports drinks that you can take these kind of micro sips off of throughout the day, you know, but but all we're talking about here is, is, is maintaining that balance with right. the, the extra variable of your stomach maybe being sour or incapable of holding the food, right? right? Um, and it comes to also prepping similar to other illnesses and, and whatnot, kind of, you know, like the t- discussion about mouth surgery, just prepping and making sure you've got some things 
on the shelf in your house, kind of if it's popsicles that you always keep in the back of the freezer that have a sticker on that say don't touch unless, you know, sick day, sick mm-hmm. day stash or whatever it is. There's actually a really good um, electrolyte. Um, it's not pre-mixed. It comes in like one of those little two, uh, not tubes, but like packets, kind of yeah. like crystal light almost. It's called drip drop. Um, that one works really nice. I think each packet, if you consume the whole thing, it's only about like nine or 10 grams of carb. But the nice thing is that it's got the electrolyte component to it too, for replacing what might be coming out. Yeah. Um, so just some options. It's very, um, dense with what you need too. And I know about it for a completely different reason, but when Cole was, uh, recruiting for college, he got stuck at this three day event in August and it was like 115 degrees. And he, he was playing baseball for three days in a row trying to, you know, he's like, look at me, someone take me on their damn team, you, you right. know, but he was downing Pedialyte throughout the day to, to stay in that. So yeah. it, it is really impactful. The other component to stomach bugs and adjustments would be if you are able to take in a little bit, usually because a stomach bug means that you're not absorbing well mm-hmm. uh, digestively, we really expect that you're probably absorbing only about 50, maybe 60% of the carb amount that you might be taking in. One, don't bolus until you know that it's going to stay down. So in this circumstance, you're not doing pre-bolusing right, right, yeah. at all. You take the food in. You make sure it's going to sit there. It's going to stay. You bolus only for about 50% of what you actually consume. This is a survival situation, right? It's a survival. And yeah. again, if you see it coming up, sure, that's where that like little bump nudge kind of with a little bit more, maybe a little bit more whatnot. But be conservative, to begin with, because stomach bugs don't last long. They're not like the common cold five to seven days, maybe even 10 days. Usually stomach bugs are gone within about a 72 hour time period. You may still have decreased absorption for days after you're feeling better. So don't, don't think it's odd that you might be dropping a little bit low when you're back to eating what you consider normal food Mm -hmm. um, after meals. It might just be that your digestion is just not up to par yet. So if you're um, a person or a parent of someone who is prone to stomach issues, is having a prescription on hand for Zofran or something like that, is that a good idea? Like something, an anti-nausea medication? Yep. I hear yep. people talk about that. I, I, there's, a, there's another one that's over the counter. It's called Emetrol. Um, E-M-E-T-R-O-L, I think. Um, it comes in a little white bottle. It's got a rainbow on it. Um, that was something that the my second... My second wisdom tooth extraction, the dentist actually recommended for me okay. um, for nausea. So, and it seemed to work really well. So, so, and if I'm on MDI and I have this illness coming up, how do I cut back my my slow acting insulin? Is it a percentage? You think, or where do I start to? You guess? know. Again, in the circumstance that you wake up in the morning throwing up or, you know, just not feeling the greatest and you're taking your basal dose in the morning, you can adjust it. Absolutely. And you could take it back by 10, 20 percent as a starter. Um, If it's really considerable nausea and you're not really sure that you're going to take anything in, you may cut it back even a little bit more than that Mm -hmm. and then just cover with boluses of your rapid insulin if you are riding higher through the course of the rest of the day. But don't take an additional dose of your long-acting insulin from what you missed from the initial dose to make up. Don't just wait the next time you need it. (laughs) So now – so. 
you know, when you're talking about taking care of kids, I mean, anybody who's a parent who's had a child who's sick, you realize, you know, for sure, like everything in your life stops, right? You know, it, work doesn't matter. You know, the television show you really wanted to watch tonight disappears out of your life. You, you know, the weather doesn't, you're, you're keeping your kid alive. But, but what if I'm an adult and I'm alone, right? I'm living by myself and I have type one diabetes. I'm sick and I'm exhausted and I know I am going to fall asleep and stay asleep. Like what, what do I do before I fall asleep? Because that kind of illness, you see people sometimes 10 hours, they're, they're out like a light. Right. And it's the kind of illness and the, and the stress on your body. You might not wake up if you have a problem and you don't want to be in that scenario. You don't even want to wake up with an extremely low blood sugar. Like imagine having a 40 on top of a stomach virus, right? It's gotta be horrible. uh, I'm guessing. So do you, do you ever, I mean, how long you've been married? You ever live alone? Like what, what, what would you do in that scenario? Would you? I've personally never lived alone. I either, I went from my parents to having college roommates, um, to having off campus college roommates to then, I think I lived alone for about a month between my college roommates moving out, graduating, and then getting married to my husband. Your husband should take a lot of comfort in the fact that your face did not go, oh, geez, I do have to get divorced. Isn't that what yeah. Scott's saying? No, no. But <laughs> I've never lived alone. Jenny has to fly. <laughs> you looked very I mean, comfortable. I've, I've, but I've traveled alone. Right. You know, so in that circumstance, too, there are always like safety pieces, you know, and I when I travel alone, I actually set my CGM alert for a little bit higher mm-hmm. um, over in the overnight time period, just because I want to know sooner than yeah. if my husband was sleeping next to me, because he's usually the one that hears it before I do. <laughs> anyway, so. I got hit in the shoulder last <laughs> night. Don't you hear that? And I'm like, no, because I'm sleeping. Right. <laughs> so right. She's like, yeah. it's beeping. And I was like, all, yeah. right, all right. But for those living alone, I think some some strategies, again, this would be a staying safe by being potentially a little bit higher is actually better. Mm -hmm. So if you know that you are just like done and you are out and you are going to go to bed and you may not be up for the next 10, 12 hours, just set a temp basal decrease. Or again, if you're going to bed at night and you know that wake up in the morning at six o'clock is probably not going to be until 10 o'clock because how horrible you feel, maybe you take your basal insulin injection dose down a little bit. You know, I I mean, there's safety things. Yeah, you may wake up higher than you want to be, but it's in this scenario of being alone, that would be the safer case. I mean, I'm not advocating, obviously, for waking up at 200 or 300 or whatever. Every but day, yeah. you know, if you wake up at 180 instead of waking up at 100, you know what? Let it at go. least it was safe. Well, so. I mean, the idea is to get through this unconscious time period and back to, back to conscious safely. That, Correct. That, that's what you're shooting for. The other component too could be, you know, setting alarms on your phone or setting an alarm clock mm. in that time period just to wait. I mean, as much as you want to sleep and need the rest because you don't feel good, if you really are worried because you already took your basal insulin and you can't adjust it now, or you're getting to that point of just needing to lay down and you just had a meal and you're not quite sure what that bolus is going to do for you, set an alarm. Right. Yeah. I mean, everybody should have an old $8 wind up alarm clock. They can pull out of a drawer correct. and set across the room so that you can't just reach over and touch snooze on your phone yes. and, uh, and, and get out of it that quickly. Okay. Well, that's, that's really, I think we're finding a lot of good ideas here. Good. Um, 
So uh, real quick, medications around illness, uh, cough medicine, you know, they make some without sugar, I guess, or I could bolus for yeah. it. Like, they do. It's called diabetic tussin. Diabetic tussin? That's what it's called. They should have called tussin. They really should have just called it diatussin. But all right. I mean, yeah. I'm not yeah. in the PR department over there. Um, it's cough syrup that doesn't have any sugar added to it whatsoever. Does the same job. Mm-hmm. Um but doesn't have any, you know, glucose raising component to it. Chris Rock in his stand-up, it was like, rub some tussin on it. Was that my mom used to say rub some? Was that who? I don't remember. I can't think of I'll, I'll figure that out. Um, okay, so uh, diabetic tussin. Yes. <laughs> uh, what about, is there, I mean, steroids. Steroids are going to push my blood sugar up the entire time they're in the body, right? Correct. Yes. And the increase can be considerable depending on the dose. So injected injected steroids like a cortisone injection into a um, joint or mm-hmm. something like that, those will cause considerable increase in blood sugar. Definitely within the 12 hours after, um, you're going to need an increase at least 50%. Many times people see a 100% increase. And then that that increase will last for a couple of days until the dose from an injection sort of starts to dissipate. I mean, the impact of it stays within the body, but the impact of the actual, let's call it, you know, cortisone or whatever else has been injected, um, mm-hmm. whatever kind of prednisone or whatever it might be, um, it's going to dissipate enough that you're going to see the need for that increase in, in basal dose come back down. I, you know, it's, um, it's not odd to see a hundred percent more, 150% more basal dose, especially many people who are also paying close enough attention will often also need an adjustment down in their insulin to carb ratios, their correction factors. Um, As far as oral steroids, um, depending on the dose and, again, on a potential hard stop or a taper of the dose, um, most often those are for people who have like a bronchial illness and they have like a background like asthma or some other type of lung condition that the doctor really wants to attack the illness to Mm -hmm. prevent pneumonia or something else, you know, progressing. Um, Those types will usually, again, increase the need significantly, and the insulin to carb and the sensitivity factor will need to be adjusted. Yeah. Okay. And I guess so, to, to medications that may have a side effect of nausea, you should be careful about if they want you to take them with food, give yourself a chance correct. to not show up, you know, not correct. make yourself nauseous when you, when you might need to hold something down. I want right. to double back a second to the idea of, an alone adult or even a kid whose parents, you know, might feel like it's slipping away. Like when do I, it's so funny to ask this question because we spent some time talking about the fact that hospitals don't seem to particularly, you know, value like your blood sugar that much, but when's the moment when you wave the white flag and go to the hospital? Like, Mm -hmm. like when am I like, you know, not that you should be running every time you're sick. And by the way, I feel terrible because some people get sick more frequently than others. I can count, right. I can count on two hands the times both of my children have been ill. Arden doesn't get sick much at all, which by the way, too, for those of you who do, what a, what a horrible joke that is from nature, right? Your right. immune system was strong enough to beat the crap out of your pancreas. Can't make bronchitis go away. Go away. Right. <laughs> you're like, whoa, come on, man. Uh, but 
But so when do I, like, what's the Mendoza line for when I think I better get to professional help? And why do I want to do that? Like, what is it I'm avoiding? That kind of comes in, and I know we had a whole um, discussion and episode all about ketones and Mm -hmm. how to look at that and whatnot. But that kind of brings that into the picture as far as blood sugars and or hydration. And if you are ill and you're really not feeling good, check ketones, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, because in the case of moderate to high ketones, those often, especially if you are not feeling well and you can't get enough hydration and fluids in, you may very well need to go to the emergency room. Um, In that case, it's just, and your blood sugars may not look like high enough to say, well, gosh, I, this is really bad. I, I have to go to, you know, to the emergency room or the hospital. But uh, if your ketones are at that moderate to high level, you definitely need some help clearing those or you're going to be in trouble. And an IV would help with that, right? Is that an IV would help with that because they're not going to make you down a whole bucket of water via your mouth. Because they're going if you to could, put, put yeah. an IV in yeah. and they're going to push it in through your vein. Because if you could, you would. Too. And, and I know, I know that because, and I think I've told this here before, but Arden woke up one time with, um, she should have bent cannula, one bent cannula in like 14 years is, you know, amazing. Um, but she woke up, she woke up with a higher blood sugar. She was nauseous. I tested her ketones. They were high. And I said to her, I'm like, look, here's your options. Now she wasn't sick. Like, you know what I mean? She didn't have a stomach virus. I said, you pound this water down. I crush you with insulin and you promise me that you can eat something to stop the the fall, right? Mm-hmm. Like and or we're going to the hospital. And right. and she's like uh and she took a bottle of water from me and Arden is I've mentioned this here before. She's a princess sipper when she drinks water. It's like oh, a little bit, a little bit. She took that <laughs> bottle of water and she pounded it all down. And she was like, is that good? And I went, yeah, you can sip at the next one. You know, and we got like three bottles of water in her over two hours. We made a big bolus. Um, she, her blood sugar broke and her ketones began to fall. And we caught it with a little bit of, we caught it mm-hmm. with something. And that was it. It took us right. th- three hours to not go to the hospital. But she was willing to do it. And it was hard. Right. She told me later that drinking that water was incredibly difficult because of the pain she had from the uh, the elevated ketones. Uh-huh. Yeah, you know, she was, she felt very nauseous from it. Um, obviously, she wasn't sick, but yeah, at some point there's going to be a safety issue. Please don't get to the point where you're calling an ambulance. No. You, you know what I mean? Like, like you might have to give up at some point, right? You do it, and all this kind things. of it kind of brings into a, it, a component of like nausea in pregnancy mm-hmm. can be a very considerable thing for some women especially in early pregnancy. So if you have significant enough nausea and you're not literally able to take things in or you've gotten to the point of actually vomiting Mm -hmm. because of the significant nausea, it's always better to try to go and get at least IV hydration so that you don't run into an issue of ketones. Even though blood sugar levels may not be right, elevated yeah. in that circumstance, you could develop ketones mainly because you're just not keeping anything in. And that's very, very, very bad in pregnancy. Can I ask you a question? And I don't usually put you on the spot for this because it's a yeah. it's a question about how to do the podcast. When I put this episode out, I was thinking to put the ketone 
defining ketones right with it. Do you see them as companions? Yeah. These are companions yeah. to each other? Okay. Absolutely. All right. All That's right. a great idea. I will definitely do that then. Um, this is usually the time where I say, is there anything I didn't say that I should have said? The only thing I would say is for all of this, the biggest thing comes from like my years with Girl Scouts. Um, be prepared. Okay. Right? Be prepared. Mm-hmm. And one of the best things I can recommend doing is having you never know when you're going to have to run out the door to like an emergency like situation, mm-hmm. right? Or even in the case of I know this isn't illness specific, but this is like just being prepared like you have to run out of the house because I don't know your stove is on fire. <laughs> I mean, if you have a diabetes emergency bag packed, Mm -hmm. get a backpack, a red backpack, cheap, go to Target or wherever, get one, put in it all of the things you could potentially have to take with you quickly out of the house. Mm -hmm. It'll be a lot easier in an illness emergency, especially, especially if somebody has to take you out of the house. Right. If you got stuff packed to go, at least you know you've got, you know, a set change and extra test strips and batteries and whatever they're all in there. Yeah. No, so a Jumanji situation when giant vines and lions are going through your living room and you really need to get out, you want to be Correct. able to grab this bag. Correct. Ha- and and at least have it packed somewhere and no right. it doesn't have to be hanging by the when back the door. Monkeys are chasing yeah. you through the kitchen. Those and monkeys whatever, were yes. very mean in that movie. They were uh, they were I know Robin Williams. And now I'm (laughs) now people are like, Robin Williams wasn't in that movie. That was the rock. How did you confuse those things? And who is Robin Williams? But there's been two Jumanji movies. So young people, please leave me alone. Um, I want to close by saying that as we were talking, I was proudly struck by how much of what is normally spoken about on the podcast translates very well to this idea of sick days. Um, Mm -hmm. that, you know, obviously there's heightened scenarios, but that the tools you use really aren't much different. You might use different ones in different times than normal, but, but it's not like, and the reason I say this is because when people are trying to figure things like this out, I oftentimes see them believing that there's some extra special knowledge that they don't have about diabetes that applies only to the day you're sick. Mm -hmm. And I still think that one of your greatest diabetes tools is common sense. Um, and so I think that, you know, we obviously broke things down a lot more granularly here, but it's still the tools. It's the pro tip series, right. you know, applied slightly differently. So right. um, I'm, I, I thought this was really terrific. Awesome. I appreciate you doing this. And we talked so long that I can't ask you to define LADA. So I'll do that next time. Okay. Um, so that you can go. I will say thank you. You're welcome. I want to thank Ascensia Diabetes for sponsoring the Remastered Diabetes Pro Tip Series. Don't forget, you can get a free Contour Next Gen Starter Kit at contournext.com forward slash juice box free meter. While supplies last, U.S. residents only. If you're enjoying the remastered episodes of the Diabetes Pro Tip Series from the Juice Box Podcast, you have Touched by Type 1 to thank. Touchedbytype1.org is a proud sponsor of the remastering of the Diabetes Pro Tip Series. Learn more about them at touchedbytype1.org. A huge thank you to one of today's sponsors, Gvoke Glucagon. Find out more about Gvoke Hypopen at gvokeglucagon.com forward slash juicebox. You spell that G-V-O-K-E-G-L-U-C-A-G-O-N 
com forward slash juice box. If you're living with diabetes or are the caregiver of someone who is, and you're looking for an online community of supportive people who understand, check out the Juice Box Podcast private Facebook group, Juice Box Podcast Type 1 Diabetes. There are over 41,000 active members, and we add 300 new members every week. There is a conversation happening right now that would interest you, inform you, or give you the opportunity to share something that you've learned. Juice Box Podcast, Type 1 Diabetes on Facebook, and it's not just for Type 1s. Any kind of diabetes, any way you're connected to it, you are invited to join this absolutely free and welcoming community. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Now, listen, there's 26 episodes in this series. You might not know what each of them are. I'm going to tell you now. Episode 1000 is called Newly Diagnosed or Starting Over. Episode 1001, All About MDI. 1002, All About Insulin. 1003 is called Pre-Bolus. Episode 1004, Temp Basal. 1005, Insulin Pumping. 1006, Mastering a CGM. 1007, Bump and Nudge. 1008, The Perfect Bolus. 1009, Variables. 1010, Setting Basal Insulin. 1011, Exercise. 1012, Fat and Protein. 1013, Insulin Injury and Surgery. 1014, Glucagon and Low BGs. In episode 1015, Jenny and I talk about emergency room protocols. In 1016, Long-Term Health. 1017, Bump and Nudge, Part 2. In episode 1018, Pregnancy. 1019, Explaining Type 1. 1020, Glycemic Index and Load. 1021, Postpartum. 1022, Weight Loss. 1023, Honeymoon. 1024, Female Hormones. And in episode 1025, we talk about transitioning from MDI to pumping. Before I go, I'd like to share two reviews with you of the Diabetes Pro Tip series, one from an adult and one from a caregiver. I learned so much from the Pro Tip series when our son was diagnosed last summer. It really helped get me through those first few very tough weeks. It wasn't just your explanations of how it all works, which were way better than anything our diabetes educator told us, but something about the way you and Jenny presented everything, even the scary stuff, that reassured me that we could figure out how to deal with this and to teach our son how to deal with it too. Thank you for sharing your knowledge and experience with us. This podcast is a game changer. 25 years as a type 1 diabetic, and only now am I learning some of the basics. Scott brings useful information and presents it in digestible ways. Learning that pre-bolus doesn't just mean bolus before you eat, but means timing your insulin so that it is active as the carbs become active, took me already from a decent 6.5A1C down to a 5.6 in the past eight months. I've never met Scott, but after listening to hundreds of episodes and joining him in his Facebook group, I consider him a friend. Listening to this podcast and applying it has been the best thing I have done for my health since diagnosis. I genuinely hope that the Diabetes Pro Tip series is valuable for you and your family. If it is, find me in the private Facebook group and say hello. If you're enjoying the Juice Box podcast, please share it with a friend, a neighbor, your physician, or someone else who you know that might also benefit from the podcast. Thank you so much for listening. I'll be back very soon with another episode of the Juicebox Podcast. 
Jenny Smith holds a bachelor's degree in human nutrition and biology from the University of Wisconsin. She is a registered and licensed dietitian, a certified diabetes educator, and a certified trainer on most makes and models of insulin pumps and continuous glucose monitoring systems. She's also had type 1 diabetes for over 35 years, and she works at integrateddiabetes.com. If you're interested in hiring Jenny, you can learn more about her at that link. 